I, I want you to give me two more weeks and I'll try to land the plane for you. And next week, talk about the word at the bottom, the Redeemer. But it was something that resonated in my heart of how shallow many times we misinterpret what Jesus has done for us. And He just becomes more of an influencer, a banker, a lawyer for us, whatever we need. And we miss what His real work has done, what He really has done for us. And so today I want to kind of build that and then we'll end next week. This has been our scripture that we've held on to all the time. And I'm going to read it again, but today we're going to go a little further in this chapter. We're going to continue reading because as we do, it gets very interesting. It says in verse 6 of Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government, and that's what I've been trying to land on, there's a big difference in what you think about him and what you know about him and the stories you know versus whether you live up under his government. Every demon of hell understands the government of God. I will say this, every demon of hell understood who he was because they even asked him when he was walking on earth, did you come to torment us before our time? Paul says this about him, even the devils believe and shudder. But the one thing the devils will never do is put themselves under his government. They're rebellious. They don't want to be under the government of God. But what it does tell me about his government is that it's not just about emotions and it's not just about religion, but all of creation, the trees, the the earth, the heavens, the, the beings that are there, the heavenly beings, the angels, the spirit world are all under His government. And my belief, as I've said, I will not belabor it. When you're under His government, your life changes. And the government will be upon His shoulder and His name, that's Jesus, will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We continue reading verse 7. It picks the thought up again. His government, and this is the challenge, Because it says, and its peace will never end. I find that so many people with a casual understanding of God act like He's trying to mess you up. He's not trying to mess you up. He's trying to shake you up and change you up so that He can bring peace in your life. So one thing I'd like to say is if you're not at peace, it might not be because the devil or people or God's mad at you, it's probably because we don't understand how to come under His government. Because when you're under His government, even if your life's not going the way you think it should, you're still at peace. Because you know who's in charge. Because when you're under His government, you realize that the thing in charge of your life, the person is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Most High God. And it says it will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice. So when you come under His government, you got to know this, that God is always going to do what's fair and just for you. He's never going to rip you off. He's always trying to do what's right. He's always trying to do what's fair and just. And it says He'll have fair and justice from the throne of His ancestor David for all eternity. Now this phrase at the very bottom is the topic of today. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. There there is something we Christians have to understand that God is in the business of making His will happen. He really doesn't even need our help. But He asks us to come into it so He can use us. So let's read it again at the very bottom in the in the blue. The passionate commitment 
of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Here's a different version, same phrase. The zeal of God of the angel armies will do all of this. God has a zealousness about Him to accomplish His purposes. The Bible says in the book of Daniel that He's so powerful with His purposes that He's the one that raises up kings and governors. And I know we may look to Washington, D.C. and go, Oh my God, what are we going to do in 2024? But I'll let you know how big God is. No matter who we elect that goes in, God Almighty is in charge of every nation and every leader. Even the bad ones. Even the bad ones, God in in His zealousness of His own kingdom can even use the bad ones to push His people forward. And we don't like to think about that. Because in this zeal of God, of the angel armies, will do all of this, we would have to ask ourselves, well, if my life's not working, why? Is it because God is not powerful? Is he, Like I said a moment ago, is He mad at you? Is He trying to teach you a lesson? And I think it just comes to an understanding of, of coming up to understand that when I come under His government, I make it about Him instead of me. Now this becomes challenging. This is what, here's the thought, and then I'll give you the paradox. This is the thought of the day. God is passionately committed to seeing His kingdom plan manifest in the earth. He's committed to it. Just so you understand how committed He is, if you die today, He's still going to work a plan. We can never get egotistical to think that God needs me on the scene. You'll burp your last, we'll bury you in the ground, and tomorrow the kingdom will keep going. We buried Billy Graham, supposedly one of the greatest revivals of all modern time, and the day we buried him, the kingdom of God just kept going. Because that's how passionate God is about His kingdom. It's only an egotistical person that would think that, that, that God needs me so bad down here on the planet. And you realize the moment a human is gone, God raises another human up to keep the thing going. One day you all will bury me. I hope it's a fun day. Don't cry over it. I hope it's a long way away too. (laughs) But God cares more about this place than I do. And when my season is up and I pass the baton off, it'll just keep on rolling. And whoever comes in after me will do better than me. Because that's how it works. God's always caring. All you got to do is just jump in His kingdom and He's always working His kingdom. Now here's, here's the ticket though. God is passionately committed to seeing His kingdom plan manifest in you. He's passionately committed to you. And again, on your QR code, I'm going to share something with you in a moment. On Wednesday night, we have what's called Believer's You. It's an in-depth Bible study, far deeper typically than a Sunday morning. It stretches us. It makes us think it out. And... It's usually one topic for about 30 weeks, so we dig it pretty deep. Last week I shared, uh, we were in week 13 of a topic called revival. So what I'm going to share with you on the next slide is, is a far greater teaching from last Wednesday that I asked Pastor Phil to put it on the QR code because I'd love you to listen to it because I won't be able to go that deep with it here. 
But I think it would be a good addendum to what I say today to kind of take it deeper for you. For those of you that want to listen to it, I think it will challenge you even greater. But as we read, God is passionately committed, and, and I need to understand that He's committed to His kingdom plan. Now this becomes the challenge. I call it God's kingdom paradox. It's a paradox. It, in other words, it, it doesn't make sense, but it does, but it doesn't. It, it, you can't really figure it out. And number one is this, is that the kingdom is all about us. He, he had to get humans here so that Jesus could become a human. And He's always chosen humans. In some strange way, God could have built a boat by Himself. Anybody believe He has that kind of power? But He didn't build the boat. He picked a human to build a boat. God could have easily led the Israelites out of Egypt, but He picked some motley fellow named Moses to do it. So it makes me think, well, why won't God just do it Himself? But there's a part of His kingdom to where... He calls us and He says, no, 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 no. First you need to know what's about you. Because if you think about it, why would Jesus right now in the hellaciousness of our world not just part the sky one evening and just go, boom, I'm real, and then just disappear? That would at least get Instagram and Snapchat rolling. Like, why won't He do that? Why won't He just give us a taste of the other world why is it always aliens and demons and nephilim and government conspiracies? Why doesn't he just open it up and go, look, I'm real. I know y'all don't think I am, but I am. I'll be back later. Go get in the church and do something for me and close the clouds. The reason he won't is Jesus said, because greater works will you do than me. Because in my kingdom, I'm choosing humans to manifest my glory. I want a human. You will be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. So God in His godness, in the strangeness, picked us, chose us, wants to use us. And while I'm sitting around here going, God, where are you? God's in heaven going right here. Where are you? I'm trying to do something, but you're too distracted. You're too busy. You're angry. You're mad. And you want to know why the world's going to hell in a handbasket, honey? It ain't, I don't know if God would use ain't, but it felt good. It ain't my fault. I chose you humans to reveal my glory, to be the light in the middle of the darkness, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. Now, that's just part one of the paradox because part two, it's not about you at all. At all. It is zero about you. Because if you snub your nose at him, he'll just pick somebody else. And he will move right on down the line. And he will invite you in. Leslie, do you want to follow me? And Leslie says, yes, come on in, honey, get in the line. Here we go. And he may say, do you want to follow me? No, I'm too busy. Okay, well, how sad it is for you. If you really go look at Jesus, it's, the paradox is so true. Because the paradox is follow me. Well, why would I follow you? Because I need you. But just so you understand, John 6, if you don't like it, there's the door. Because it's not about you at all. It's about me. Hey, it's about you, rich man. Why don't you go sell everything and come follow me? Well, no, it's all about me and not you. And so Jesus says, well, there it goes. See you later. Why didn't you chase him down? 
Because that paradox plays itself out all the time. And it's still real today. And depending on whether you're in column one or two will determine on whether Jesus is more of an influencer or a redeemer. Because in the top, the likelihood of you being selfish is incredible. Because you'll say things like this when it's all about you. Well, I don't understand why he won't answer my prayer. Well, I won't understand why he won't fix my husband. I don't understand why he won't heal me. I don't understand why he didn't let me make every red light. I don't understand why he didn't give me that job I wanted. I thought I was going to get it. I've been praying. I don't understand why he let my father do this or my mother do that. And all of a sudden, I don't know why that last preacher did this, we become selfish. And because it's all about us, we decide we can just stay home and read our Bibles. And we don't really have to go hang out with people because people irritate me. I don't like preachers and I don't like church and I don't like modern day religion. Good, it was never your idea anyway. It was His idea to create an us called the church, not you. We create clubs and we create you know, all the factions we create and religions and denominations, but... But we make it all about us. And I'll tell you, I've learned this to be so true because I cannot tell you how many God-loving people are just ticked off today. The preacher made me mad. We can't even get along with each other. Well, that last church hurt me, so I'm going to try another church, and that church will hurt you, and I'm going to try another church, and those people will hurt you, and I'm going to try my fourth church, and that will hurt you. And ultimately, you just have to go, Honey, go look in the mirror. Uh, don't you not realize everywhere you go you get hurt? It might not be everybody else's problem. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. All God's children get hurt. Get over it. Because I've understood that the greatest way to mature is to come and go, look, it's not all about me. If He doesn't answer my prayer, I'm not ticked at Him. If He doesn't do everything I demand, because this... This first one, if we're not careful, you become God and Jesus becomes your servant. And your faith will manipulate Him to do whatever you want Him to do. Jesus Himself gives us the paradox because Jesus says this about Himself. Do you think I can do whatever I want? I, this is Jesus. Jesus says of Himself, the Son of God... Do you think that I just get to do whatever I want? That great paradox. That great paradox of let's go take over. Let's go to Rome and take over Caesar. Let's do all these things. We can do it. We've got a motley crew of people we can take over. We can get rid of Rome and the Jews can rule. And you can sit on the king of, as the king of kings over Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, well, it's really not even about me. It's about the Father. And I can only say what He tells me to say and only do what He tells me to do and only go where He tells me to go. So even Jesus who is all-powerful, who is the Son of the divinity in the flesh, even tells us this great kingdom paradox that you just can't do whatever you want to do. And all through the Gospels we see this with Jesus. We see him telling things like, well, I can't right now. It's just not my time. I can't do that right now. I, I, it's, just not, it's just not my time yet. So this selfishness. And you know this had to really reek within his heart because 
his own brothers didn't believe him and, and people call him names and, and yet he stays the course. And I find that a lot of American South Georgia Christianity is in category one. What can God do for me? What can the church do for me? And because of that mentality, a lot of us never leave the influencer line. Because it's not about you, you're just a servant. It's all you are. You're a servant. On your best day, you're a servant. And when I learn that about myself, I don't go to bed mad at people anymore. I used to go to bed going, I hope people love me and like me. And, and now I just go, God, some are going to love me. I mean, you'd think everybody would love me, right? Like, some are not going to love me. Because I started out telling my wife the stupidity of everybody will love me. They killed Jesus, but I felt like I was better than him. Like, I got it. I know they killed him, but I'm Mark. Everybody's going to love me. But I've realized that even on my best day, sometimes people don't. But I've learned over the years. Now, it didn't come easy. But I've learned that I'm a servant. That my job is for His glory, not mine. My money is for His glory, not mine. That everything I do becomes for Him instead of me. And I, again, I, I wish I could tell you I got mature and learned this quickly. It took a long time and doggone it if I still don't have to wake up on some days and remind myself. Mark, get out of the top category. Stop being selfish. This is about being a servant for people. I walked in here a few days ago and uh, the lady Vanessa was here cleaning the church and I walked in and I thought, ah, you know, why don't I just help clean? So I grabbed a little squeegee mop and I just walked around. We chatted. I'm mopping. Let me just say this about some of you. Some of you need to learn how to drink your coffee better. <laughs> My Lord, or you're leaking or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's the second service, right? Yeah, it's not y'all. It's, it's that second service, the weed smokers. <laughs> I'm not going to tell them we said that. Because <laughs> I got to do the whole I'm thankful speech, second service. <laughs> well, I'm thankful for most of you. <laughs> But I still, I still, not to brag, but just to show you practicality, I still wake up and, and try to be a servant. I said to her, I said, hey, all the trash you empty in this place, just leave it on the deck when it's done. Don't worry about taking it to the dumpster. I'll do all that. I'll tote it for you. I don't have to do that. But I want to always find ways that I can serve people. I, because I realize my body, my life, my money, whether it's a tip to a waitress or whether it's blessing somebody, I realize that everything in my life is in category two. It's really not about Mark, it's about him, but he does want to borrow me. And he wants to use me. And so I have to get Mark's selfishness out of the way. I used to, in my younger years, always pray because I was in ministry starting churches. God, I just want you to bless me. I want you to bless my family. I want you to bless... You know, I was always hustling. 
And then I'll never forget, I was living in Tennessee, so it had to be 19, early 90s. And I was just always was frustrated about my life and why it didn't work and, and all my friends that were making lots of money and I always seemed to just eat by. And I realized a lot of my prayers were just selfish. And in 1993-ish, I just started saying everything in my life is going to be for Him. The shoes on my feet, the guitars on the wall, the money in my bank account, though little it may have been at the time, I'm just going to use it for His glory. I'm going to tell you something. It shifted my entire life because the anxiety started leaving. Anybody ever live anxious? <laughs> the anxiety started leaving because I realized when you come under, it's not about you, but it's about Him, but He calls you into it because He wants to use you because it's never about you anyway. When you understand that, your life explodes. Contentment comes. Joy comes. Peace comes. He somehow meets every need. I can't even explain it. I can't explain how I could give a $20 bill one day thinking, oh my God, I'm going to go under. And by Monday, the next day, money in the mail, I didn't even know was coming. I'm like, how does he do this? Let's go to the story of Christmas. You'll see it play out in Mary, this paradox. Don't be afraid, Mary. Yes, because it's all about me. It's all about my emotions. It's all about how I feel. It's all about my situation. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with the Lord. Yes, I knew it. I knew this was about me. I have found favor. I, I, I knew it. I just, man, oh, I'm not afraid at all. And a lot of people never, ever, ever get past that, that sentence. Now, I want you to understand the power of God. He started out with, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor. Probably because God's smart. And he realizes, I need to let you know I'm thinking about you before I tell you what I'm about to do. Because if I start out with what I'm about to do, you're running. So he starts out with, with the paradox. It is about you, Mary. You, don't be afraid. I care about your emotions. I care about what you think. I care about how you feel. And you found favor with me. So let's just start that you're on my mind. You're on my heart. I'm thinking about your future here, Mary. Oh, verse 31 messes it up because here comes the paradox. You'll conceive and give birth to a son in name of Jesus. No, 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 wait a minute. I'm good that I have favor, but now you're telling me I'm going to be pregnant? And, and then you have the audacity to tell me I'm going to be pregnant and then you're going to tell me what to name my own kid? How dare you? I mean, I don't mind having a kid, but I'd like to name him myself. So the paradox, it is about you, favored, highly favored, but wait a minute, it's about me because really... You're going, to have, you're going to give birth to a kid. You're going to name him Jesus. It gets worse. Because the floodgates open now. And the paradox becomes strangely, glaringly in our face. Because this next two verses, it's as if he doesn't even care about Mary. For this kid that you're going to have, that I just told you you're going to have, he's going to be great. And I'm sure she could have said, well, wait a minute, well, what about me? What about my marriage? What about my house? What, what about my future? Wait a minute, I thought you made me great. And then it goes on to say, and he will be called the son of the most high. And God will give him the throne in verse 33. And he will reign over Israel and his kingdom. The entire next two verses, God's just like, okay, now that we've settled, I've given you favor. It's really my plan that I'm here to work out. 
And this is so difficult. I like the other verse. It just talks about how favored I am and how blessed I am because this tells me that I'm going to be stretched. I'm going to be challenged. I'm going to be loved and hated at the same time. I'm going to potentially, as I said last week, lose my marriage and lose my, lose my character. And, and I do just want you to look at verse 33. And He will reign over His kingdom. If you really think this through and study the New Testament, you'll find that one of Jesus' first messages is repent. That means it's not about you. For the kingdom of heaven is here. It's about me. One of His first messages, the kingdom. Because He needs us to know. Now here's the challenge. Remember our first verse we read. I'm going to have to take you back a few slides. The first verse we read in Isaiah 9, verse 7. The passionate commitment of the Lord. When God is committed to His own kingdom, and He's committed to His kingdom, and He invites you into His kingdom, what do you think is about to happen to your life? You will never lack a thing. A lot of us want Him to build our kingdom. A lot of us want Him to answer my prayers and give me my houses and my cars. And He says, Mark, listen, this is Matthew 6, the words of Jesus. Seek first my kingdom and I will give you everything. The paradox. Seek my kingdom. Seek me. And you won't even have to worry about you. Maybe the reason we're so highly anxious today as Christians is we're wanting Jesus to build our own kingdoms and that's why we're so highly anxious about everything. My job, my home, my health, my kids, my future. But when you just wake up and go, I am yours and you are mine, whatever you need of me today, my job and everything I do, every person I bump into, I am yours. Whatever you need, my pocketbook is yours, my thoughts are yours, my energy is yours. And he says, really? Did I just hear you say, Mark, that you're making your life about me? That you're going to wake up with me on your mind and what I could do with you today? Yes, sir. I think I just said that. But yes, yes, I think I'm in. I heard Mark preach it. I'm in. I can do it. And then God says, oh, well, the moment you choose that, the zeal of all of heaven's armies and the passionate commitment of the Lord now surround you. And here's one thing I know. I've never seen one Christian yet at 58 who puts his kingdom first, who's losing. Oh, it's strange. It's, it's a paradox. Because you got the upper line going, I'm doing everything, I just don't know what to do. And I'm like, yeah, everything you're doing is because you're trying to get him to do everything back for you. Just let you go and watch what will happen to you. It's a strange thing. It gets better. Mary asks, she goes back into the first category, me. Mary asks, but how can this happen? I'm just a virgin. See, she's kind of stuck in the paradox. She's stuck, well, wait a minute. This can't be about him. It's about me because I'm the virgin. How? How could I get pregnant? How, how could this happen? Like her, her brain is wrestling. 
She doesn't understand. These are impossible things here. How can impossible things work? And all we have to remember is Isaiah 9. God will make this happen if you'll just come into it. And she's wrestling. It's the dilemma of every human, myself included. We wrestle with coming into it fully. We always keep ourselves in the back pocket for a rainy day. We never fully surrender all. We sing it, I surrender all. But you don't. It's just a song. All to Jesus, I surrender. Okay, yeah, but you don't. Because you're mad, you're still upset. You Now, so we don't just think it's just casual. This is every human. Every human wrestles with the paradox because why am I going to serve him if he's not going to do something for me? And that's even how we kind of market it. Well, what do you need him to do for you? Come on, tell me what you want God to do. And I'm like, what in the... Sam Hill. I had to roll that back. I felt something come up. I felt it come up. I thought, oh man, my Pentecostal mother's like, don't you say that. I heard her voice right in my ear. I was like, yes ma'am, I will not. I'm 58 and I'm still obeying her. Oh, Yes. What in the Sam Hill do you think you're selling here? Well, what do you want the Lord to do for you? Honey, He's already done all He ever needs to do. He died for you. He rose from the dead and is offering you eternal life. And we're selling His Lordship on whether He gets rid of your sore knee? A doctor can get rid of your sore knee, but a doctor can't give you eternal life. So even the way we sell Jesus is in the first phrase of selfishness. Oh, you want him to give you that job? You just let me pray. Oh, when he gives you the job, you'll know he's God. And I'm like, honey, there's a lot of people getting jobs because they, they work hard and they have a good resume. And... But let me lay your hands on you. Let me tell you something. You don't have a job, do you? No, I don't. You'd like one. Yes, I do. Okay, good. Why don't you just let go of everything? And just start seeking Him first. Get up a little early in the morning. Put Him in charge of everything. And watch what He'll do for you because He's the God of all of heaven's armies. And then a month later they call and go, I don't even know how He did it. I didn't I wasn't even schedule for a job. They called me and I'm like, yes, that's, of me. that's how it works. That's how it works. So she's stuck in the paradox. It goes on. The angel replied. Here's the other paradox. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, honey. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, honey. And the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. He settled the paradox, but if you don't ever settle it, you'll never go anywhere. You'll always wrestle with me, me, me. Why me, me, me? I don't understand. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Verse 36 and 37 of Luke 1. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son as old as she is? Man, that stings. How would you, ladies, how would you have liked to have made the Bible and the reason you've gotten the Bible is because you got pregnant at age 70? <laughs> I want to do something great for the Lord, not just get pregnant. Everyone called her barren. Do you see, I want you to know something. The reason everybody called her barren is she was barren. But the moment her husband came under, well, whatever you want, we'll name him John, God works for her. 
And here she is six months pregnant. I love what the angel says because if a human could ever say this, we could explode the world. Here is the comment of an angel that lives in the presence of God daily. And this is what the angel says of the God whose presence he lives in. Nothing you see is impossible with God. That angel's not just talking about little baby virgin Jesus. This angel's talking about from the beginning of time. Nothing is impossible with him. The two first humans blew it. Nothing's impossible with him. Noah gets drunk. Nothing's impossible with him. Lot sleeps with his own daughters. My God, what a perverted man. Nothing is impossible with God. From the beginning of time, the angel resonates. Nothing is impossible with God. Can you humans get a hold of this? And we're like, well, I don't know because my hip still hurts. They're like, oh my gosh. Sometimes I think the angels are just sitting up there. This is my opinion, but it feels good. Jesus is like, are y'all ready to go? I'm going to commit. I don't want to go down there. It's just so frustrating. I go try to talk to them. They're on Snapchat and Instagram. I just get tired of trying to get their attention. Verse 38, Mary steps over the paradox. I pray you could get here. It took me quite a while to get there. I pray you could get there quicker than me. Yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid. I'm ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. Holy smoke. And you know what you know what makes Mark just feel terrible about my own human self? She's about 16 years old. The chick got it at 16. I raised four girls. It takes them longer than that. It's not about you girls. Yes, it is. Oh, no, it's my bathroom, not yours. I'm just going to let this resonate a minute. Do you see it yet? Or do you still think it's all about you? Can you say what she said, I'm ready to serve, or are you still a little myth that your life's not going the way you thought it would go? Somebody died. Some, it didn't, every prayer wasn't answered, and, and you're ticked now, and you're a little skeptical about him now. So the only reason I serve him is because he answers every prayer? He's bigger than that. So I'm ready to serve. And if Mark Evans dies with 200 unanswered prayers, I will stand in front of your glory and praise you anyway. Because it's you that I'm serving. You're not serving me. I'm serving you. Here's the thought. I'm going to ask the band to come up and let's get ready for communion Have you settled that nothing you see is impossible with God? I can't do it for you. But I want to tell you something interesting here. Look at the next verse. Mary didn't waste a minute. My Lord. Didn't waste a minute. Some of you have been kicking and screaming for decades. She didn't waste a minute. 
It was so resonant in her that my life is for Him. Let me just get busy about serving Him. And I read that last night and I thought, my gosh, how many minutes have I wasted on me? Man. My selfishness. And then it goes to say, so she got up and traveled to a town in Judah to the hill country, straight to Zechariah's house. Are you ready about to have your mind blown? This is, this is just, ugh, I could teach it forever. Why, this is Elizabeth, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Wait a minute. She just heard you're going to have a baby. She didn't waste a minute. She runs over to her cousin's house, Elizabeth, walks in the door, and Elizabeth goes, the mother of my Lord. What? She's not showing? There's, there's no little kicking in her belly. This is still the first day. But what these women are showing you, the moment you buy into His kingdom, whether you see it or not, it is a reality. She's not pregnant because she's showing. She's pregnant because she believed. And if I can ever get you to believe before you see, if I can get you to believe because he said it, if I can get you to believe before anything happens your way, just because you trust him, then your life works. Life is breathing on the inside of you. I leave you with this. If you will, stand with me, and I'm going to let you look at this question. Have you settled with God? This isn't uh, between you and your wife or your husband or your last pastor or somebody that's hurt you and done you wrong. It's you and God today, and I felt to leave you with a question. Have you settled it with Him? That you're a servant first and foremost, and you're for His kingdom. Bow your heads if you will. I do not know the distractions that await you. I do know that we humans are brilliantly distracted about everything. And we typically only bring Him into the equation when my line of me is, is in a tailspin. And then I start begging and pleading and asking and Asking Him to come into my kingdom and fix me and bless me and heal me and help me and fix me. Because as a human, I never can press into, wait a minute, it's not about me, it's Him. And I'm just going to wake up serving you. And when I do that, I tell you, I don't know how to explain this to you. I guess it's what, what the Scriptures say. Can you see the impossibility here? That when you put His kingdom first, nothing is impossible. Some of you that are struggling in your marriage, rather than putting your selfishness, well, I wish He would talk to me more. She would say this or do this. Why don't you just both get up and just read the Bible together. That's it. Just read the Bible together. Just out loud. Just a chapter and then move on. And watch what happens as you begin to put God over your selfishness. And things start working out. He starts giving you wisdom. He starts... He starts touching the hurts and the darkness. And, and I go back to that first scripture. The Lord of all of heaven's armies has a zeal about His kingdom. And when you get in His kingdom, your life works.
So Father, today here we stand as humans in a great paradox of selfishness versus servanthood. Me versus you. The battle that's been raging from Adam and Eve. The battle that raged that says, no, don't don't eat that. And they said, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I want to be more wise than I am. And all through the Bible, every, every chapter, every book is, is, is riddled with humans who are stuck in the paradox. But yet somehow every miracle is that human decided to step over and become a servant. They decided to trust you amidst the darkness. They decided to take you at your word. They decided to put you ahead of them. And all of those stories, in the greatest of ways, we call them the heroes of our faith. We call them the men and the women that saw extraordinary things. But they didn't see extraordinary things because they were so holy. Every one of them were broken. Every one of them were a mess. Every one of them had issues. But they were heroes because they they settled the paradox. They all said yes to some strange call on their life. And you worked it. So today, as we enter into the end of the year... I pray that you work our lives and we come under your kingdom and I pray this church will forever preach your kingdom and not our selfish behaviors and calling all of us higher to follow, to grow, to go, to, to grow up. Do me a favor if you will, you're giving today. I want to bless your giving Then I'm going to bless the communion and ask Michael and the team just as you come for communion to worship together. So Father... For those of us that come to this house, as I said before, thank you for the givers, the tithers, those that bring offerings, no matter what size. They're giving up their their earned money to you and they're letting it go freely. So bless it today. Whether they give online or now in the baskets, however they do it, bless their businesses. They're giving willingly to your kingdom so I ask you to return it back because they, if they're giving to your kingdom, then you, you surround their business and their life and their employment. Give them favor. I pray for this bread and the wine today as we break it, that it is the body of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for us. And as we dip and as we take it back to our seat and we worship for the moment, I pray that you capture us in the paradox My prayer is that you go back to your seat and you sing and you take a moment to kind of settle what we've talked about. My prayer is that you would settle the paradox today. Could you end the year stepping into line number two? It's not about me. It's all about Him. Could you start the new year out that way? As a husband, as a wife, as a young adult. Father, I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may come for communion. We have tables, four of them. Make use of all of them, if you will. Our elders are here. If you need prayer, we'll be glad to pray with you. We'll come and dismiss you in just a moment. We love you.